Now, as we jump into this passage, we're picking up from Ephesians 2. Um, Last week, Darren covered the first half of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. This morning, we're going to jump into 11 to 22, the tail end of the passage of of chapter 2. And as we do so, um, the the very first word is remember. And so I'm going to start there and just simply ask you to remember what Darren talked about last week. And he literally talked about remembering last week as well. You remember, remember? Um, What he did was the very first verse in chapter 2 was, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In other words, Paul is taking us back to a point and asking us to remember that moment And that's what he does here. So you can see that in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So this remembering keeps popping up. And as you think through things you remember, hopefully your memory is still sharp and you have lots of things you remember. The, I, even as I was reading this passage, uh, one story came to mind that when I was at Hume Lake, I had gone through, uh, kind of through the ranks in a sense that I, I began my job at Hume working in the kitchen, washing dishes, flipping pancakes, that kind of a thing in the, in the back part of the kitchen. And over time, if you stay at Hume long enough, they just kind of move you up. And I ended up finding myself becoming the executive director one day. And it didn't happen over a week or two. It was over a matter of years. But I eventually ended up being the executive director. And I remember one day I was, I was getting um, out of my office and I was coming up to my car. And just as I reached my car, one of our staff members at the time, uh, he was working in one of our lower positions like a dishwasher. And now I'm executive director and he stops his car and he stops, rolls down the window and says, hey, Jeff. And I'm like, yeah, Luke, what is it? And he, and he stops and he says, Jeff, do you remember um, that one time you used to be a dishwasher? And I thought, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, do you remember that you used to think that one day if you were ever in leadership, you would change things? And I thought to myself, and I thought, yeah, actually, I I do actually kind of remember that. And he went, oh, just wondering. And then he drove off. And I stood there at my car trying to, to one, remember what I remembered back then, but also starting to wonder what it was that he was getting at. Like, hey, now that you're in leadership, I wish you would remember what you remembered back then. Anyway, let me get back to the passage. Remember... The, the idea there is that sometimes this remembering is actually transformative to us. It actually helps us to, to think differently about our lives and what's going on. And this is what Paul is doing here. Therefore, remember, at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. And this remembering, he does two little things there. The first one is, remember who you were back then and remember from where you were to where you are now. So the questions for this morning are, remember who you were and remember where you were. Because at that time, you were in a different place. Now, before we jump into this holy, there is a little part there in verse 11 where it talks about the uncircumcised and the circumcised. 
The uncircumcised are the Gentiles and the circumcised are the Jews. And just so that you understand why Paul kind of sits this in there is he's going to talk about the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. So he's saying that even back in this time, you were separated from each other. The Jews wouldn't talk to you. The Jews would keep you distant. There was this distance there that that was not just between God and man, but it was between the Jews and the Gentiles. But even more so is the whole concept of circumcision is about remembering. So we're not going to turn there, but if you had your Bibles, you could. You could just simply flip back and you could go to Genesis 15 where the story starts, where God gives a promise to Abraham that he's going to have this nation from his, his generation. In other words, from his offspring, there's going to be an entire nation that comes from Abraham. That's in chapter 15. But by chapter 16, it still hasn't happened. And so at this point... Abraham is going through this question of, is God really going to do this? Is he going to, is he going to do anything? He has no children and he's getting older. And so at this point, he's in his eighties at this spot. And in his eighties, he stops. And between he and his wife, they take matters into their own hands. And they, and Sarah, his wife literally gives to Abraham her servant to sleep with. And in that process, she, the, the servant gets pregnant and they have Ishmael, but God then in chapter 17 comes back to Abraham years later and says, hey, by the way, that wasn't my promise. My promise wasn't that I was going to give you a nation through Sarah's servant. It was going to be through you and through Sarah. And that promise still stands, but we're going to start with a new covenant today. I want you to remember this thing. Now, it's striking that the very point that what, what Abraham did with his body was the part that God marked. It was the very part of his body that he marked and said, I want you to remember always what I promised. Don't try to do it in your flesh. That that's the concept of what the Jews do at that moment, even with circumcision from then on out. This thing that is a symbol of what happens when man tries to earn the blessings of God through their flesh. God gives the mark of circumcision to that. And the Jews then take that symbol. And for the rest of the time, they use it as trying to earn the blessing again. That because we were circumcised, therefore we're blessed. And it's like God's saying, no, you're missing the point. The point is that you remember who I am, not that you remember who you are. This remembering comes up again and again in this passage. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the Jews, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, that you were totally separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And that commonwealth is all the blessings that were promised to the Jews, the covenants that were to the Jews, the, the temple that was for the Jews, the land that was for the Jews, all of that wrapped together alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And this is just tragic 
that at this point in time, that's where they are so far, so separated, alienated, strangers, no hope whatsoever, and without God. And that without God, by the way, in the Greek is literally the word athneos. That's where we get the word atheist, the athneos. It's, it's no God. There's, there's no idea that it, as a Gentile, you're not even thinking about God. There's no, no reason to think about him because in your mind, he doesn't even exist. And at that point, that's where we are as Gentiles. And this is what Paul is saying. Remember who you were? Remember when you didn't believe in God? Remember when you didn't even think there was a God? Remember when you lived in your sin and your flesh and you did everything that way? Remember that. He's, he's asking us to remember that time that you have no hope and you're without God in the world. And then in verse 13, the whole thing pivots. And verse 13, it comes in with this, but now. Now, just before we get into this, I want you to, to just think through this idea that remembering before, and then now he's about to switch and pivot, that this remembering before, memory matters to God. This idea of remembering, because it's not just circumcision, it's not just here in Ephesians, it shows up again and again in scripture. In fact, even if you think through the flood with Noah and the flood, there was a rainbow that we would remember the promise of God. That it, the, the whole point of stacking stones as they went into the promised land, that, that we had a memorial for, for what God had done. That even the Ten Commandments were carved into stone as a memorial, as a memory that you would remember these things. Even in Deuteronomy, we have what's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. God wants us to remember. He wants us to remember. He wants to teach those memories to our children. He wants us to talk about these things. Memory matters to God. These things matter to the Lord. So he says all of these memories, but now in Christ, this is a point of relationship. That the but now is that this, is, this was before, but now you're in Christ and all of that is different. Everything that you were has now changed because you're in relationship with Christ. And by being in relationship with Christ, Christ does something in our life. Christ comes and has been doing a work and he delivers an incredible list of things to us at that moment. Do I need a sign for anything? No, you're fine. All right, thank you. These are, uh, these are the gifts. These are the gifts that come. And what I want you to know is the rest of this chapter is a list of these. And I actually couldn't bring all the boxes that would contain everything that Jesus did at this point. But Jesus shipped to us, Jesus delivered to us gifts that we didn't even know we need. I did not order these. I did not even know I needed these. I didn't even ask for these. But Jesus was already preparing for us the things that we would need. And this concept that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He packaged up what we would need before we even knew. When we were still separated from him, he was already doing the work. This concept is what this chapter is about. But now... 
in verse 13, in Christ, because you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This concept that these gifts now show up in the chapter, and there's a lot of them. There's, there's nearly 20 of them that are just easy to break down. We're going to go through the list really quickly. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. It's as if in this package is a ticket to Jesus himself. It's like a one-way ticket. And right now, any of us would take a one-way ticket almost anywhere. Just let us get on the plane. Let us get out of our house. Could we go somewhere? Now imagine that we're far off in a bad place. And Christ himself has come to where we are. Come to that place where we are isolated and separated. And he comes and he brings us a ticket. And he says, those of you who are far off, I am now bringing you near. And he brings us with him. He brings us close. I love that, just that little concept that, that at that point, you who were once far off have been brought near, brought near to God himself. Second gift, by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that has made us pure before God, that has cleansed us, that's also in the gifts that he gives. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He brings with him peace. He gives us peace in a time when we're 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 fearful, we're distraught, we're broken, and he brings peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He brings unity to us. And then this dividing wall. The dividing wall is a strange thing because you're like, what is that? And scholars kind of wrestle with it. Some people think, well, it's the dividing wall between God and man and it's not where it's going. It literally is making reference to a wall that was part of the temple grounds. And at the time when Paul is writing this, he is referring to this area where you have the temple, the place where God dwells. And then you have the temple courtyards, and then there is a wall that the Jews built out and around that was specifically to keep the Gentiles away from the temple, away from God. So the Jews built this. Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes about this wall. It's called the, the Sorig. And the Sorig was all the way around this, this courtyard to keep the Gentiles out, to keep them away. That the Jews at that time, because of that uncircumcision, said, you can never earn your way to God. You can't be here. You need to stay out. And this was the current situation as Paul comes into, onto the scene and he discovers who Jesus is. He looks at it and says, no, Jesus has actually broken down that dividing wall. Now, the the fascinating thing about this is Paul writes Ephesians from prison. He's in prison when he's writing it, and the reason for him being in prison is actually connected to this very story. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 21. And in Acts 21, in verse 27, it says, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, this is Paul, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. 
Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled this holy place. That the reason Paul gets arrested in the first place is because he's bringing Greeks to God. He's bringing the Gentiles to God. That's what Paul is doing. What's even more fascinating, and some people, some scholars stop and go, well, the, the, the Gentiles that are here in Ephesus wouldn't know this story. They wouldn't know about that wall. Oh, really? Listen to the very next verse. In, in Acts 21, as it comes into this, uh, we'll come back to 28. It says that moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled this holy place. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up by the people. They ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. And in, at once into the gates were shut. And they were seeking to kill him. They ended up arresting him. He got shipped away. And he's in prison because of his outreach to Trophimus the Ephesian. That literally, the reason why Paul is talking about this wall is he's going, the Jews built that wall. There's nowhere in the Bible where, where God asked for the wall to keep anybody separate out of that courtyard. The Jews built that. And at this point, Paul is saying Christ himself has removed that wall. He's removed the barrier that would keep a Gentile, that would keep us from coming into the presence of God. In fact, Christ himself goes out where we are far off and draws us near to him. He brings us past that wall and brings us into his own presence. It's a, it's a beautiful little turn on, on the, the history of even why Paul is writing this letter. So we, we'll come back to the rest of the, the list again. In verse 15, he's also abolishing the law of the commandments and the ordinances, the ones that the Jews have placed in, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. That you wouldn't have Jew and Greek, you would only have those who were of the family of Christ. And he unites us, so he brings unity. That's in the gifts. And again, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, through the cross. He reconciles us. He, he takes away all the things that kept us separated from God and he reconciles us, making us clean so that we can actually be in the presence of the almighty, holy, loving God. That's one of the gifts that are there. And as it keeps going, it, it talks about how he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. And what I love about that is that he's, he's not just teaching to, or reaching out and preaching peace to those who are far off, those of us who can remember who we once were, but even the Jews who think they're good, who think they've got it all done, who've done all the works and done all the ordinances and done all the commandments, they think. They think they're in, in good with the Lord. And the Lord stops and says, no, I've even come and preached peace to you because you don't fully get it. You're not here with me. And so even those of you who think, well, I don't have a rough past, this is a point in time where, where it doesn't matter how close you think you are, Jesus still needs to come and you need to be in relationship with him or you don't come all the way to be in abiding relationship with God the Father. This is what he's talking about. Now, I know that my time in Seattle, when I was working with homeless individuals, we were dealing with people that might have mental health challenges, they might have severe poverty issues, they might have addiction issues. And I know that when I first got the job, I met some of the guys who had just come in off the street. And there were four particular guys that I remember, and uh, I looked at their lives and I thought, they're not going to make it. 
that just, they were so rough, where they were coming from, what their background was. I looked at these four guys and I just thought, there's no chance. And I, I hate to say this, but where I thought in my mind that God can save these guys. They're just too far away. There's too much brokenness in their life, their addictions, the choices they've made. It's just too much. But over the time, as I watched God begin to transform their life, I saw each of them give their life to Christ. I saw God transform them. And God brought those who were far off near. And those four, just this week, I was texting back and forth with them. They were doing, uh, we're we're all getting sick of uh, the FaceTime and the Zoom calls. We want to be with real people. But those four guys on their own got together and did a Zoom call because they were all in different places now. They're all walking with the Lord. One of them is a manager at at, um, West Elm, the furniture store. Another one is actually in charge of Alpha Northwest in the Pacific Northwest. Alpha is an evangelism outreach ministry. He actually is in charge of that. Another one is doing counseling with people who are coming out of homelessness. And then the fourth one is, uh, is a, in the management team of a corporation. And he is now on the board of directors of the Union Gospel Mission. And you look at those four and you see what my perspective was is they're too far off. There's no way that God can change these individuals. And yet what God did was transformed every one of them. He brought them who were far off. Those who were near still not near enough, he brings them as well. These are the gifts that are lined out here. And then as we jump in on verse 15 uh, to 17, it comes in and it says just that. I think we just read that actually. And he, 17, and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. And this, <laughs> these are just awesome. The ones that come up next, these gifts that come in next. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You have been granted citizenship with the saints and members of the household of God. You've now been adopted in. You are now family. You now have full citizenship. You are now a family member here. You're built on the foundation. You are in this stack. If these are stones, the the foundation stones of the apostles and the prophets, you're being built on that. And then there's you. You're in that stack. The primary stone itself, though, as it says, you're you're built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You are being built into a building where the bricks, you being one, the other bricks are Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. That's just awesome. This is what Jesus has been doing. We need to remember who we were And we need to remember who he is and what he's capable of, what he's doing. In verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, many of us have tried to find out what, uh, what we're going to do with all the time on our hands when we're locked into our house and then we're, we're getting bored of just sitting around. And so one of the things that I did was I, I dug through some stuff in the garage and I found uh, a little folder that my dad had given me that was genealogy of the, the Lily family and, and the different families that uh, 
basically brought about me, um, my parents, my grandparents, that type of thing. And as I started doing the genealogy and going back and started doing some research, I, I discovered some fascinating things. And I'll tell you a story of one particular um, part of my family. My grandmother was a steward, the Stuart clan out of Scotland. And so we've known that and we've kind of treasured that fact that we're part of the Stuart clan and you watch Braveheart and you feel this kinship to like, those are my people. Um, but in the process, I learned about the Stuart clan and there's a particular story in the 1600s where there are two brothers and uh, the, one of them, William, is called by the King of England to go to Ireland and to actually marshal up some of the clans to stand to support a bit of a rebellion that is going against the king. He wants to know if the clans are going to stand with him. And so William is going out to the different families, and there's one particular family he's supposed to go to, and the king says to William, he says, hey, you better take my cavalry with you because that's some dangerous area that you're going into. And And William says, no, I think I'm going to be all right. Give me three of your guys, and I'll take two of my own that I choose, and we're going to go um, deliver this message from you, sir. And so he takes these guys, and they get to a point where they're on this bridge, and they get on the bridge, and as they get halfway across the bridge, the enemy, the the Irish, they come up on the other side of the bridge, and they block the, the exit from the bridge that they're on. They can't get off. So they turn, and as they turn, they notice that it's an ambush, and there's another big group of guys on the other side. And as the battle ensues, these two sides crush in on William and his men, the six guys in the middle, and this this battle just doesn't go well. And they fight and they fight, but in my genealogy, it simply says, and William who was cut into pieces in 1641 at the bridge of Kilcullen. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What is that? One of my ancestors cut into pieces, and that's the line we get. And so I I did the research to find the rest of the family and what happened there. But the, the striking thing about it is that memories, what we remember, changes us. And what I want you to know about that story is William dies on that bridge. Those six guys all died cut to pieces. What it also said is there were nine of the enemy dead on that bridge as well, meaning it was a much larger group that came to attack them and they still killed nine before they they lost their lives. But here's what happens. His brother, John, who lives back at a place called Valley Drain. It's a property that the stewards held for many years. Right now, I I literally looked on Google Maps. It's a golf course, and now you can golf there. Um, But Valley Drain was actually one of the steward lands, and John is back at the steward lands, and he's living in the middle of all this, this civil war, the rebellion that's going on, And he continues to fight for the king. He continues to try to keep the land safe. He has gone away from home at one point. And this woman comes into the town, uh, the town of of Drumbeg. And as she comes into Drumbeg, she goes to this inn and the inn is full. The night is starting to come. The sun is setting. And in the process, she realizes she's got to get somewhere safe because it is not safe to be out at night. And so she's looking for a place to stay. The inn says we're full. We can't, you can't be here. And they said, but we know the Stuart clan. You could try to, try to see if you can find a place there. She goes there, but John, the brother of William is there. He can't take, or he's not there, but the servants know the spirit of John and they say, you can stay here. She spends the night. 
John shows up in the middle of the night, hears about her, they meet, they end up falling in love. This is where romance starts. This is my lineage. These are my great, 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 great grandparents. And they fall in love. And because of what they did, because they fell in love by being able to provide hospitality, they built this little house right next to the road and put a stone in it that says a free house, meaning anybody on the road can be here because it's dangerous to be out on the road. Here's the thing. John remembered what had happened to his brother and said, we should be providing safety for others. John didn't mean it just for his brother. He meant it for his wife. And together they built that. They meant it for the village. They built the church of Drumbridge. The parish of Drumbeg is still there. They continued on. They passed on that lineage and that heritage. And that's part of what happens when we remember. It changes us. How they did their life after that was John was going to be watching out for others, trying to protect others because of what he'd lost. Jesus God lost us. From the garden on, the sin pulled us away. And he did everything he could. He brought all the gifts to bring us back to him. This is the story. What I love about it is the Gentiles that have been kept at a distance, the Jews that wanted the dividing wall there, all of that, that Gentile that was kept out of the temple now actually becomes the temple. This is so cool that he's like, you can't be there. And then God says, no, not only can you be there, I'm going to use you to build my church. You are my church. In fact, this whole passage is really speaking to the church at Ephesus, not to any one individual. In verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. That God himself is building this place of safety, this place of peace, this place that represents him. It is his temple where he dwells with us. This is Fullerton Free. This is who we are. Now, it's a bummer right now that you're not in this community, in this building right now, that you're not sitting here on these, in these seats But what you are is you are already the temple of God. You are already this place where God dwells. And God has chosen this time to send us all out into our community. You represent the community of Jesus Christ. You represent his house, his temple. We are being built up for that very purpose. We just simply need to remember who we were, where we were, And then remember who he is and what he is doing. We may think it's too hard for somebody in our family, for God to reach them. Don't believe that. God is capable. Remember who he is. You may have somebody in your neighborhood, your neighbors, you're going, yeah, I don't know that we could ever reach them. Ah, remember where you were. Remember who you were and remember who he is. God is doing some incredible things in our lives. The saddest part about all of this is if these gifts come into our life and we never open them, if we just turn our back to those and try in our flesh to do the things we think we can do to get to God, we disregard the fact that God has already done all the gifts. We didn't order these. We didn't ask for these. We didn't even know what to ask. But he brought and delivered for us exactly what we needed in his son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
I thank you for the gifts that you have given, continue to give. I thank you just for Jesus himself. Lord, for who you are, for, for your blood that made us pure before you, that we can be in relationship with you. And now, Lord, in relationship with you, we can be that light to a community who desperately needs to hear about your love. That you haven't grown tired of, of loving us. You haven't been grown tired of reaching out to those who are far off. Lord, may we be your temple in the days to come. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.